0: Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Saracek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Thanks to your great response to our first episode, we have decided to do this again. Only louder this time. So this is episode two, in which we will explore the causes of anxiety and, a bit later on, the connection between the gut and anxiety.
1: Ready for this episode's question, Mags? I am ready. I'm an open book, except for the chapter about my weight. That part has been redacted. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Then we'll stick to our favorite subject.
0: So based on our interviews with 319 women ages 18 to 94 who have some experience with anxiety, and aside from the brain chemistry issue, which we're going to discuss quite a bit later, what do you think causes anxiety? And you know, we get that question constantly, right? How did, how did this happen? Why is this happening to me? What's going
1: on? People really want to know what's causing their anxiety. Right. I know that I did and so did you. The first thing we want to say, I think that you would agree with me, is anxiety is not a character flaw and it is not a weakness. And the second thing is there's a lot of evidence that there's this interplay for us between genetics and our environment. So between what we were born with and what has happened to us. There are quite a few categories of things that seem to contribute to anxiety disorders. The first one, hold on to your hats for this one, because the first one is just being a woman. Yay! 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 (laughs) So we are twice as likely to end up with anxiety disorders as men. Oh, lucky us. And we have to sit down when we pee. Okay, so we got gender. Yeah. The next broad category is genetics so that you can blame your anxiety disorder on your parents, which is very important to us. (laughs) You're statistically more likely to suffer from an anxiety disorder if you come from a family where your parents are anxious. And we believe this is both from the fact that they model anxious behavior, which you learn at quite a young age, and there is more and more evidence that there's a strong genetic link in terms of our genes that are turned on and off. and Stress-related genes. Yeah, stress-related genes to anxiety disorder. Age is another factor. There are two times in an individual's life when she is more susceptible to anxiety, which is the late, late adolescence to early 20s. Which is when both you and I Started with ours exactly, and again in the mid to late 30s, and we think that also postmenopausal women are showing a lot of signs of anxiety, and they're very underrepresented in the medical literature.
0: Of course, of course, but in our interviews with a lot of women that were postmenopausal, including myself, anxiety seemed to show up right at that moment. Absolutely maybe hormonal.
1: Absolutely. And also in a lot of the literature, we are starting to see that more and more. Another category we look at a lot is childhood trauma. So during early childhood, like maybe ages two to six, seven, we're learning how to soothe ourselves. So if there's a major upheaval in our family or some sort of traumatic event, then that process gets interrupted. And some researchers believe that when anxiety symptoms appear in our late teens or early 20s, the root may be found in early childhood. Not in all cases, but it definitely seems to have some sort of connection. I know for me, my therapist always felt that my father becoming very ill when I was five. And staying very ill until he died when you were in your 20s. Yeah, but, but especially like the first very long hospitalization caused a lot of trauma for me and may have been one of the causes of my anxiety disorder.
0: So another cause for anxiety disorder, and this one is actually tricky for obvious reasons, is uh, disease. Disease or medical conditions can actually cause anxiety. Disease, <laughs> yeah, I know. And if you have uh, medical anxiety like I do, this just really complicates things. If you have hypertension, heart disease, hypothyroidism, lupus, diabetes, okay.
1: Will... Now, now I'm googling. I know, I know. I know. Okay. Now we're
0: both completely anxious. But you know, those diseases can manifest symptoms of anxiety. So the chances are you don't have those things. If you're a reasonable anxiety sister, you're going to go out there and investigate it and get a checkup, make sure that you don't have any of those things. Okay, that's not nice, Abby. No, okay. I'm sorry, we'll okay. move along really fast. Okay. You go? okay. Medication. Oh, good. <laughs> that's going to make me feel a lot better. Medication. We love medication. Well, here's the thing. All drugs, as benign as, as, they, as you think they might be, Tylenol, baby aspirin, they have side effects. So certain drugs like steroids and decongestants, antihistamines, even caffeine, you know, other stimulants, my coffee, yes, yes, your morning coffee, that can cause anxiety. In fact, my therapist has often told me to switch to decaf, uh, which I don't do. How dare she? I know, which I don't do. It's the one, one piece of advice I never take. But these these drugs and medications and
1: stimulants can absolutely cause symptoms of anxiety. And I remember when my father had a very serious heart condition, an arrhythmia, and a lot of the drugs he was taking to control his arrhythmia were known to cause anxiety and depression. Right. So I read a lot about that in cardiac literature. I think a lot of different drugs to do
0: with cardiac issues have that side effect. So that's something to keep in mind. And as long as we're talking about medication, I think we have to include herbs, right? Herbs and supplements because, you know, we're a big believer in that too. But herbs and supplements like St. John's wort have been known to cause, even though some people say they relieve anxiety, they can also cause anxiety. One more little thing. As long as I'm being mean and, you know, (laughs) discussing all the things that make me panic. Okay, spit it out. Here we go. Some of the common antidepressants that we take they can actually increase your anxiety levels. No! Yes! Uh, Now, what's interesting is that sometimes it's a temporary symptom. Sometimes when you're starting a medication, it will first increase your anxiety level, and then after a week or so, decrease it. But there are cases where certain medications don't agree with somebody and the opposite effect happens. And I mean, remember how like when you wanted to get your kid to sleep on the plane, you gave him Benadryl, but then he was up bouncing off the walls the entire. Yes. Why (laughs) why are you telling everyone about that? (laughs) Because I remember that story and it's the same thing is true with antidepressants. Sometimes they can, they can have the opposite effect. Recently, there've been quite a few studies on vitamin and mineral deficiencies as potential causes for anxiety disorder. I know that in my personal case, vitamin deficiency was absolutely a cause. The major players in this are vitamin D, vitamin B12, vitamin B6, which is also known as folic acid, calcium, and magnesium. And it's really easy to find out if you have low levels. If you just have a simple blood test, you can see where, where you stand. A lot of women are experiencing vitamin D deficiency, so for lots of reasons, including anxiety that should be checked out. For me, I ended up having the lowest level of vitamin B12 that my doctor had ever seen. So I have to take a a prescription level vitamin B uh, supplement every day as part of my treatment for anxiety. So now we're up to hormones. My favorite subject. (laughs) The female hormones, estrogen and progesterone, if they're unbalanced or low, they can cause anxiety. We know this because of PMS, right? Right. Right, um, right. At times in a woman's life, when hormones are in flux, so puberty, pregnancy, right, menopause, any of these states, she's probably going to be susceptible to anxiety at that point if her hormones are going to be a factor.
1: Right, and we are good case examples, uh, because you've had thyroid issues, and I've had adrenal gland issues, and we've both had... A lot of anxiety, yeah. and we think that there's some connection. To yeah, that. oh, there absolutely is. And for me,
0: I—I I mean, this is getting a little personal, but I mean, I—I I was very late to get my period, and then went through menopause at 36. So wow. I really had
1: some hormone issues. That right, and you had, and you had really bad depression after pregnancy. Yes, I had severe postpartum depression. So
0: yes, hormones are definitely a factor. So in now me. you know
1: everything about us. <laughs> Another factor is depression. So according to a study in the Archives of General Psychiatry, depression often precedes anxiety or panic disorder. About 50% of the people who experience depression go on to have anxiety disorder. I would be in that group. (laughs) The, The one nice thing about getting anxiety first is that while you may be slightly more susceptible to depression the numbers aren't quite as high for people who get anxiety before depression. Did you just say the one nice thing about getting anxiety? (laughs) (laughs) So most of us have heard of veterans coming home from war with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD and experiencing extreme anxiety. Other people who have terrifying ordeals, whether they're victims of a, of a violent crime or domestic abuse or a terrible accident or a natural disaster, are also at a higher risk for developing some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder or some sort of panic attacks or anxiety issues.
0: Do you remember those women that we interviewed who had witnessed 9-11? Remember those women, they said that they had developed debilitating panic attacks after 9-11. They were so traumatized by that the events of that day. Absolutely. That they really, they, they developed serious anxiety disorders where they did not have them before 9-11. Right,
1: and people who have been in situations for a longer term, like veterans, for example, who are experiencing these traumatic events over and over again are even more likely to have very intense stress disorder. Doesn't PTSD rewire your brain? It, it does. Research in the field has shown that trauma can change the structure of the brain and also the hormones that are released and, and when they're released. Chronic stress, and I mean sort of that intense, overwhelming type of stress, Like when you're going through a divorce, or you have, you're dealing with a family member's illness, or caregiving, or even a really demanding job. That kind of stress can morph into a real anxiety disorder if it's, especially if it's ongoing for a long time. Or even people living in poverty, because usually their lives are extremely stressful, and they're at much higher risk of developing an anxiety disorder. But it can be people who just have a really intense job and a lot of other responsibilities in their life. And plus now, I,
0: I really do believe we're living in the age of anxiety. Absolutely. I mean, we've heard a lot of other people say that. Scott Stossel most yes. recently wrote a book about that. Did you know that the average child today has the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient from the 1950s? I mean, the levels of stress are just through the roof. The atmosphere in the world, I mean, there's just unrest everywhere. And I think that it's something it's macrocosmic and microcosmic.
1: Absolutely. And when families are under so much stress economically, and everything that stresses us out with jobs, with health care, cost even of health care, sure. um, and raising children and, and managing ra- that and, and managing
0: aging parents and you know,
1: working, all of that creates these chronically stressed out And and it definitely is
0: more complicated now in the new millennium than it was in the fifties. Oh, my grandmother before she died always said to me that she doesn't know how I cope. She said that she her things are so much. I don't know how I cope. I don't
1: know how I cope cope. either, Maggie. You
0: don't. (laughs) Another major cause of anxiety is wait for it, anxiety. The anxiety loop. Exactly the anxiety loop. It's a lot like the question you know which comes first, the chicken or the egg, but The truth is, is that when you have an anxiety episode or an attack or a period of prolonged anxiety, new neural pathways get carved out in your brain. And those pathways basically rewire you for anxiety. So the more anxiety you have, the more your brain gets trained to continue on and reproduce these anxiety episodes. It's it's almost like muscle memory. Right? If you practice something enough, you get really, really good at
1: it. Oh, that's why I'm so good at anxiety! Except you are an Olympian
0: <laughs> in the anxiety world.
1: Okay, the last one I want to talk about is societal expectations of women. And people didn't so much say this to us, like, oh, society's expectations are crushing me. But so many women we interviewed talked about the amount of stress they're under from their caretaking responsibilities, their job taking care of themselves, being a good daughter, friend, mother, wife, sister. And I think that for a lot of us from the time we hit puberty, especially, we become very aware of our bodies and we're judged on our bodies. And we, we always feel like we're under scrutiny, which I think is a long-term stress for, for a lot of women. And I would say the media has a lot to do with that, right? The media, but also the people often most loving and closest to us, you know. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Yeah. No, but but I think women's bodies at a young age become fodder for sort of public comment or consumption in a sense. Yeah. I know that bathing suit shopping for a boy is not the same thing <laughs> as it is for a girl. Yes. I mean, I think men are experiencing it more now, but I think that women are, so we're judged on the outside, but we're also judged on, you know, can we still do well at a job or in school and can we still be good caregivers? Well, remember what I was telling you about my grandmother, how she always said that she doesn't know how I
0: cope? Well, she always said to me that, you know, she had to be good at one thing. Right. You know, she she had to be good at maintaining the home and taking care of the kids. That was her area of expertise. And that was all that was expected of her. And now, you know, we're expected to bring in money for the family, take care of the kids, take care of the
1: home. All while looking... Yeah, all while looking... Like well, Giselle. Yeah, <laughs> which you are <and> <laughs> nice. We didn't get the memo. But. <laughs> that mark. No, you know, I think if you don't meet those standards, all of a sudden, people feel free to comment on your body. It's true. It's true. And touch you. Yeah, even if you do meet those standards. Yeah. And I, I think that's a chronic stressor for a lot of women. Yeah. When you were pregnant, did everybody touch your stomach? I didn't mind it really then. I minded it. And everybody touched my stomach. And I, I felt like nobody goes up to a guy and touches his stomach randomly. Right. But I definitely did experience that being a teenager and all the sun, people feeling free to comment on my body, both both with inside my home and pe- men on the street. I will never forget my mom's first
0: cousin. I was wearing a t-shirt or a sweatshirt that said Somerset, which is where I went to camp. And I will never forget. I, I had to have been 12 years old. And he said to me, "Boy, I can't wait till the S and the T start to stick out." Oh God! Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. And everyone thought it was so funny, right? But it stuck with me. I'm 50 years old this year, and I'm still thinking back to that time. That you know, yeah, our bodies are definitely for public consumption, and it's I think it's ingrained in our culture, and that absolutely can cause anxiety. No wonder women are more likely to be be anxious than men. Exactly. Okay, we're going to take a 10 second break to take some deep breaths and gulp some water and then we'll be back with part two of the podcast. Don't go away.
1: Today's research topic is super interesting and something ABS has been following closely for several years now and it is the connection between the gut and anxiety.
0: Yeah, we spoke about a ton of causes for anxiety in the first part of the podcast, but now I want to tell you about research that's pointing toward another cause and one that might completely change the way we view anxiety and its treatment. Here's a question for you, Max. Where okay. is your intelligence located in your body? In in Wood Oregon.
1: Well, I have two older brothers, so I know this is a trick question, um, but, but you know, I, I'm going to say my brain. Okay, great answer.
0: Would it surprise you to know that your stomach is a hub of intelligence? It has 200 million neurons lining your intestinal wall, which is basically the size of a small dog's brain. Wow. Yes, it's actually our first brain, if you think about it, evolutionarily, right? we came from amoeba, where the only role for the organism was to digest and eat and digest and eat. So the stomach was the brain. It was only later that our head brains evolved and developed. So really, we have two brains. Wow. We have the central nervous system, which we've been taught since elementary school includes our brain that's in our head and our spinal cord. And then we have something called the enteric nervous system, which is your stomach. Wow. Wow. And these two nervous systems are connected by something called the vagus nerve.
1: The vagus nerve? Like the, Vegas? Like yes. Like the place? Well, okay. it's spelled
0: V-A-G-U-S. Okay. But, yes, pronounced like Vegas. Okay. Uh, the nerve is, is a communication highway between your two brains. So neurotransmitters are constantly relaying messages between your head and your stomach through this nerve
1: make so much sense right okay. so okay. now
0: that's what's called the the gut brain connection okay the vagus nerve that right. connects literally it connects the gut and the brain and so when we talk about gut feelings or gut instincts or not having any guts or having being nervous and having butterflies in your stomach butterflies in your stomach then what we're referring to is this actual connection that does exist through the vagus nerve each brain influences the other okay okay ready for another question
1: Okay, here ready. It's a little more sciencey. Okay, I got it. Okay, here we go. What is serotonin? Serotonin is the feel-good chemical um, in your brain. It's, it's what makes you feel happy. Exactly. In your
0: brain, in your central nervous system, because now we have to distinguish between the two brains, right? Right. So in your head brain, serotonin is your feel-good chemical. It regulates your emotions and well-being, and it actually gives you the ability to resist anxiety and depression. Ah. Okay, another question. Uh-oh. Okay. Where do you find serotonin?
1: Um, In Zoloft? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: In, in your Zoloft. Absolutely. Yes, yes, I
1: think that's where mine is. That's where
0: yours is and mine's in my Prozac. But actually, 95% of your serotonin is found in your stomach. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of people get really surprised when they hear that. The serotonin in your ENS, or your enteric nervous system, right? That's your stomach. Okay. Okay. That serotonin regulates your immune system. Oh. And it also regulates motility, which is like a fancy word for saying that, you know, the chocolate that you just ate, you know, how long it takes to get from your mouth out the other side. Got it. But that's what serotonin's job is
1: in the gut. So in the gut, it regulates your your immune system and how quickly you're able to evacuate. Evacuate, yes. Yes. Digest and evacuate. And in
0: your upper brain, brain number one, if you want to call it that, then serotonin is about feeling good and staving off anxiety and depression. Right. But do the two serotonins kind of talk to each other? Oh, you're so smart. Yeah, the serotonin that's in your brain upstairs is the same exact serotonin that's in your brain downstairs. They just have two different functions. And what they do is they travel up and down that vagus nerve all day and all night, and they talk to each other. And this compartmentalization that we have of a first brain and second brain is a very Western notion, right? Mm -hmm. You have a neurologist to look at your brain in your head, and you have a gastroenterologist to look at your stomach brain, right? So you have these two separate fields. But the thing is, with all this new research on your two brains, right, your second brain, Mm -hmm. there now seems to be a need for one field that encompasses both brains. Oh, so what we now are seeing in the last decade or so is the rise of the field in medicine called neurogastroenterology.
1: Oh, that's Say that what three I need. I, I need that. I need that. Every, yes,
0: everybody needs okay. that. I'm going to tell you why, because you're probably wondering why we're talking about the second brain.
1: Not really, because, you know, I feel my anxiety almost entirely in my stomach, so it makes so much sense to me. And what percentage of the women that we interviewed felt the same way? Almost everybody had some stomach symptoms. Everyone had
0: some. I'm in an extreme in that almost all my symptoms are stomach-based. Well, we're going to talk about why. Because the thing is that the key to neurological health may actually be in your gut. For example, Parkinson's disease.
1: It's something we think of as a brain disease, right? Right, a that's neuro- what Michael J. Fox has. Right,
0: exactly. Muhammad Ali had it. It's a neurological disorder that is characterized by tremors and shakes. The body has sort of spastic moves, right. and then uh, other processes begin to break down. Right. And it is thought of as a neurological condition, a brain right. disease. Okay? Actually, researchers are now changing their tune. They are now saying that Parkinson's may be indeed a disease of the gut. Huh. In fact, certain digestive tract impairments precede tremors by as much as 20 years.
1: That's incredible.
0: Yeah. So there's this hope that we can now have earlier diagnosis and therefore better management of the disease because you can do intestinal biopsies,
1: which those are so much easier and and less dangerous than brain biopsies, right? Okay. The problem with this is that now I'm starting to wonder if I have Parkinson's disease. You don't have, you don't have, you just had too much coffee, you are fine. Okay. Let's talk about IBS.
0: Okay, You're, something I know well. Yes, yes. Let's, let's get you off Parkinson's and okay. get you into something that you actually might have. IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, 10% of the population suffers from this condition. It's characterized by stomach cramps, bloating, digestive difficulties, motility problems, mm-hmm. you know, constipation, diarrhea. Right. More than 50% of the people diagnosed with IBS also have depression and anxiety. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that, So the assumption up till now, has been that you have this hypersensitive central nervous system, your brain up at top, right, your top brain, uh-huh. that would lead to this very hypersensitive enteric nervous system, your second brain. Right. And this would explain why they've been using antidepressants as the primary treatment yes, I've for IBS, I right? I have
1: heard that, yes. Okay.
0: Now, here's the really fascinating thing. While the medical consensus used to be that anxiety in the first brain caused the digestive problems in the second brain, now... They're starting to think that it's the other way around. In other words, the digestive problems happen and the communication in the vagus nerve causes the anxiety. Okay, Neurologists believe that the, the irritations in the GI system send signals up the vagus nerve and these signals trigger mood changes in the brain. So this changes the entire conversation about mental health. Certainly, we now know it's no longer in your head. Right. In fact, it may very well be that the key to the whole puzzle is in the gut. Many scientists are now saying that the stomach is the window to the brain. And neurogastroenterologists, that field I was telling you about, the people that are involved in that field are focused primarily on brain disorders such as autism, Alzheimer's, and anxiety, and their connection to gut health. So stay tuned because the future of medicine regarding antidepressants and anti-anxiety magazines, the key is going to be in the stomach. I can't wait to hear more about this. On our next podcast, we're going to address medication. You absolutely do not want to miss this episode because we are both thorough and painfully honest when it comes to this really important topic. We tell it like it is. Okay, question of the week, which you don't have to write down. See that, Max? I'm not being bossy. Although every time you don't write something down, you forget it. You are being bossy. I'm not. All right, here's the question. What caused your anxiety? We want to hear from you. Please email us at absandmags at anxietysisters.com or visit our website or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Anxiety Sisters. Before we sign off, we'd like to acknowledge a few folks who have helped make this show possible. Paul Weiss for the original music, Simon Goodway for the artwork, and
1: John Asher for editing and sound mixing. We really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Sisters, don't go it alone. You're listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production.
0: Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.